Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. As we continue our study in the book of Isaiah, we're going to be looking at the first five verses of this book. As we were just singing that hymn, The Sands of Time, it just came to me that one of the lines in this song actually is right here from this um, text that he, he brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. And so as we read through this, you'll see that come to life very plainly. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer again and ask for his help with the text. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us. That this wouldn't just simply be a part of what we do, a part of just a normal thing. But this is looking at the very words of God, the words of our Creator and our Redeemer, the words of life. Lord, we pray that you would take these words and transform our hearts. We are so easily led astray. We are so easily convinced that there's another way. And so, Lord, help us be here with us. Come among us. Guide us in your truth. Pray this in your name. Amen. So as I read this, it made me think of the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. You guys have probably all heard that. Or, you know, I always think of the, the Disney one where Mickey Mouse and, you know, that one. I don't know if you may not know that one, but where Jack is, you know, he goes and they're, they're really poor and so they need some money to buy food and so he is instructed to go to town and with the family cow and sell the cow for some food but then he, he goes and he sells the cow for some magic beans which were decidedly not food. And uh, he throws the beans out and they grow into this giant beanstalk which leads to a cloud castle where a giant lives and it makes for a really good story, especially in a world where things like giants and magic beans exist. But in our own world, it doesn't make much sense to sell the family cow, and rather than bringing home food, you bring home some sort of hokey magic beans. That would just be the worst possible thing that anyone could do. In Jack's world, there's some payout at the end, right? If you've read the story, you know the story. If you're willing to fight the giant and rob his castle, then you can have riches untold. But in our world, there are no giants that you can see anyway. They do not, uh, but there are some giants that are real. They govern all decisions and transactions in this world, and these are the giants of sin and death. And no matter how we might fight, we are completely in and of ourselves powerless against them. 100%. Everyone sins. Everyone dies. In our short time on earth, we try to grasp at anything in order to gain just the smallest bit of edge over them. But in the end, they went out. So as we come to our text today, we see this same kind of tension in the text. The tendon, this tension of spending money on that which is not bread. The labor that we do that does not satisfy. It's that, that versus the Creator Himself, God saying, Come, eat, drink, and be satisfied. 
for nothing. And it seems like an easy choice for us, right? That we would, that we would readily go to our Creator who's holding out free things for us as opposed to working for nothing. But yet, the allure of magic beans is way too attractive for us. And we are continually convinced of their value even though we know better. So as we look into this text today, we're going to see this idea. We'll see a continuation and kind of a a climax of the, the thoughts that we looked at last week with the theme of the covenants and how God would enter into an everlasting covenant with us. This is a decision. This kind of decision is found throughout all of Scripture. Fulfillment and rest in Christ versus everything else that cannot possibly satisfy. And so as we look at this, I want to break it up into two main ideas. First, the invitation of the Lord, and then lastly, the everlasting covenant of the Lord. And so with that, let's look together at our text today, Isaiah chapter 55, the first five verses of this this chapter. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah 55, starting at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that you did not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So there's a whole lot here, a whole lot. I think it's important for us to kind of see this building up. And we kind of have these points several times throughout really the last 15 chapters of Isaiah where you kind of have this building and we're getting ready to completely transition into this new way of thinking in the book of Isaiah as it kind of shifts towards this of the future glory and we see this here we've read these several what we've called servant songs concerning the servant and we saw that Jesus is the prophesied servant who is to come ultimately this is talking about him and that in his coming he was going to establish justice on earth we read that in 42 that in his that his salvation is going to go out to the ends of the earth we read that in 49 and then we saw how that salvation is going to be accomplished in 52 and in 53 and in 54 last week we saw kind of a victory celebration with all the covenants of old being restated at the very gates of heaven and those gates being opened up to the people of God. And so in our text today, we have then what awaits us on the other side of that gate, which is a picture of what the saving work of Jesus Christ has to offer for the whole world. And remember by saying the whole world, 
This isn't just an offer to the Jewish people that would be reading this. But this is a promise, as he says, as Isaiah says, as the rest of the writers of Scripture say, to the very ends of the earth. David, when he was promised a throne, he wasn't an eternal throne. He wasn't just promised an eternal throne over this small portion on the Mediterranean Sea. But yet, he was promised a throne over all creation for all time. And that he wouldn't sit on that throne. No, not David, because he's just a mere human and, and they die. But there was going to be one that would come from his family that would sit on that throne for all time and for all eternity. And that's the one, Jesus Christ. Isaiah is a really big book. As you've probably noticed, we've been in it for a long time now. It's why it's so important for us to keep this context about us and understand where we're at in the book. When we ignore the context that's found in Scripture, what we will do every single time is we will create a context for the things that we're reading. We'll go out and we'll find one. We'll find one probably from the newspaper. We'll find one from our own lives. We'll find it someplace. But we will create a context if we don't rely on the context that is in the Scriptures. And this is where crazy Bible interpretations come from. This is where all sorts of craziness come from by not allowing Scripture to interpret itself. And I mention this a lot. And if you ever wonder why I keep mentioning these things that we've already studied, that we have this buildup of context every week, is because we need to stay grounded in God's truth. If you have any doubt of that, just watch the news for five minutes. We need to stay grounded in the things that are true. And that brings us to the first point, an invitation of the Lord. Look with me again at verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So with all that context at our backs, we read this invitation to what seems to be a great banquet going on inside the gates of heaven, where everyone there is invited to come to the banquet and to eat and drink all that they like. There are many, many New Testament references to this passage. My favorite of those is found in John chapter 7. And I think that's going to help us find some meaning in this text today. So turn with me to John chapter 7. We have studied through the book of John in here, here before. It's been a little bit. So in John chapter 7, we find our Lord Jesus, and he is going to one of the feasts, one of the Jewish feasts, verse 2 of John chapter 7. Now the Jew, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And so that's this feast of booths was a feast that uh, the Jewish people would use to remember the time that they were in the wilderness, uh, in, the, in the wilderness wanderings in the book of Exodus and Numbers. And so that God provided for them. We read in Deuteronomy that even their shoes didn't wear out. You know, that's the one way of thinking about their provision. And so this, this feast also represented the end of the harvest. And so, well, this is, well, the beginning of the harvest, that they were going to have this big time of harvest as well. Interestingly enough, just for current context, this uh, feast begins tomorrow 
here today begins tomorrow for the Jewish people. And so sometimes you'll see it written as, as Sukkot as well. And this is the feast that they are, they still celebrate today. We, we don't celebrate that. There's nothing wrong with celebrating that, but we already know the one that it all points to, Jesus Christ. And so we don't need to celebrate that. But this, that significance there is very important. Because remember, when the Jewish people were in the wilderness, which we looked at there at, in, in chapter 54 as well, they were there because of their sin, yet God still provided for them. And from the wilderness, where would they go? They would go into the promised land, which was supposed to be this ultimate prize for them. And so when they celebrated the Feast of Booths together as a people, each year in remembrance of that, they were also looking forward to a time when the Messiah would come and make this feast an eternal reality. That's why they're still celebrating the feast today, or tomorrow is when it starts. The reason they're doing that is because they're still looking for that Messiah. Well, in John chapter 7, we read that we don't have to look anymore. Because the Messiah stands up and speaks to the people at the feast. John chapter 7, look at verse 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Pretty incredible. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Basically, standing there, Jesus was there when Isaiah wrote the words in Isaiah 55, and he's stating them in a different way here in John chapter 7. That if anyone's thirsty, come and drink. Come to me, he says. And so back in Isaiah 55... This invitation is to come and dine with Jesus in the eternal place that he has prepared for us. The water that is everlasting, as Jesus says, is springing up to eternal life. And notice something else. Not only are we to come and drink if we're thirsty, but we're to come and eat as well. Which along with that feast of booths, or feast of booths it makes me think of the garden. Again, before sin. What were Adam and Eve told before sin? How were they to go about the garden? They were to eat of all of the fruit of the garden, except that one. You have this kind of amazing buffet set before them. Just like here we have in heaven, set before the people of God as they enter into the gates of heaven. Come, buy and eat. Without money, do this. Obviously, this has spiritual connotations. I believe that when we go to heaven one day, there will be an actual physical feast in heaven. But it's very a spiritual idea as well. And notice the admission cost to this feast. It's free. How is this possible? If Jesus provides us with living water, if Jesus called himself the very bread of life, and called upon us to feed upon Him. How is it that the Son of God can offer those things without cost? 
Without money, come and buy, he says. How is it that we can feast in the Lord as sinners and do so for all eternity? Well, we know that there was a price. Upon him, Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus paid the price of admission so that we can have the ultimate reward. I mean, imagine having this ultimate reward before you, living water, the bread of life, an eternal reward purchased with the very life of the eternal Son of God, and then choosing to get out your wallet anyway and buy something else. No, Jesus, I see what you're doing there, but I kind of like this thing over here. And that's where Isaiah is going in verse 2 of Isaiah 55. It's a very important question for everyone here. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. In fact, this is probably the most important question in Scripture. It's not asked this way. It's asked many different ways. It's asked of us who are believers. It's asked of us, anyone who's here who is not a believer too. When you have a gift of eternal life, an eternal feast with the Lord of glory, why would you want anything else at all? Any place in the Bible that talks about sin talks about this. It's our desire, like Jack and the Beanstalk, for magic beans when real food that satisfies sits before us and is a free offer to us. We'd rather fight against the giant than take the free gift from the actual king. We'd rather do it ourselves than have it done for us. And here's the real catch. The real catch is the true king of kings has already defeated the giant. There are no victories to be won on this earth that actually matter. The real victory has been won. The real foes have been defeated. Jesus did that once and for all for anyone who believes in him, who accepts his invitation. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, I implore you to put your wallet away. Without money, come and buy. Stop turning down the offer of Christ and come and eat and drink and rest in Him instead. Rest in Jesus. We could make a really long list of all the ways that we don't do this. We could spend the rest of our day talking about all the ways that we do not rest in Christ and rather go out and seek some sort of other thing that we think might satisfy. But why dwell on sin when we can instead dwell on Christ? Go to Him without money and buy. The same to you who are an unbeliever today. This invitation is the same to you. I ask you the same question that Isaiah asked centuries ago. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? 
The very bread of life, Jesus Christ, has offered you eternal life. You only need believe in Him. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Believe that He is Lord, that God rose Him from the dead, from the dead, and you can have eternal life. Call upon His name today and be saved. These promises are everlasting. They rest upon the everlasting covenant of God. And that brings me to the next point, the everlasting covenant of the Lord. Look with me again, verses 3 through 5. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And the nation that you did not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Here we have another invitation of sorts from the Lord, and it's based upon the everlasting covenant that he made with David. If you remember last week, we looked in in chapter 54, we talked about the covenant that was made with Abraham. We talked about the covenant that was made with Moses and Noah and how all of those covenants pointed to Jesus. And so we have this same thing today, yet here we have a covenant that is made with David. And this goes back to and is rooted in the promise and the covenant that was made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where David was promised that his son, that his progeny, would sit on the throne for all eternity. In Psalm 89, which we read this morning in our responsive reading, this idea is elaborated on further. Encourage you, I encourage you to study Psalm 89 this week, to study 2 Samuel chapter 7. But I'm going to quote a few verses from it. The Lord says of David... In Psalm 89, that I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of earth. Well, David died. So we know that David himself wasn't supposed to sit on that throne. This looked forward to the one who would and is sitting on that throne. And his kingdom would be all of creation. And so when we look at Isaiah 55 verse 3... We read that he will make an everlasting covenant. Then he says, my steadfast, sure love of David. That word there, my steadfast love, is the same word that we see in Psalm Psalm 89 that we looked at this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord. It was used in Isaiah 54 concerning the steadfast love of the Lord. Sometimes we'll see it translated loving kindness. This is covenantal language. The covenant being spoken here is this new covenant that is going to be ushered in through the coming of Jesus. And we see verses 4 and 5 talking about David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. Again, this is... This is talking about not just David the person. Obviously, David had a time when he did something. But this is pointing forward to the time when there will be one who will come after him that will see these things come to fulfillment. He will be a witness to the peoples, a leader to the peoples. And again, before we think this is some sort of military kind of picture, we read verse 5, which says that he's going to gather a whole nation or a whole people To himself. And this is a nation that he did not know. When you look at the life of David, 
you see that he conquered the nations around him, that he was a very able warrior, that he was a great military strategist. He conquered the Jebusites in his, uh, probably his greatest victory, victory, and he conquered them in the city of Jerusalem and then established that great city of Jerusalem to be the Jewish city where they built the temple of God. And this was kind of David's claim. But as great as a military warrior as David was, he could not deal with his own inner problems. He struggled with very serious sin in his life. This is not pointing to David that we should be looking toward him. So God calling the nations isn't this kind of physical conquest. And the witness of the leader of God isn't a physical conqueror. Instead, he's speaking of a shepherd who calls his sheep, the one who conquers the hearts of men and women, taking their heart of stone, creating in them a heart of flesh. When our Lord Jesus was on earth, he didn't come to conquer nations. Surely he could have. But he came to conquer sin and death to save his people from their sins, to call a nation that he did not know, a nation that did not know him, to himself. So turn with me to John chapter 10 as you see that language there. And I think it's helpful for us to make this connection. John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about calling sheep to himself because he calls himself the good shepherd. So look with me at John 10, starting at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This Isaiah 53 should come to our mind here. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves and the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep i am the good shepherd i know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and i know the father and i lay my life down for the sheep and i have other sheep that are not of this fold i must bring them also and they will listen to my voice So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Skip to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Jesus talks about this, this language of calling his sheep to himself, calling a people who are not his to himself, calling them his people. And notice what the Jews, how they respond to this in verse 31. And they picked up stones to stone him. Jesus didn't come to make an army for himself or to take over Rome. He had much bigger plans because Rome was there then and it's gone today. But the souls of men and women last for all eternity. There are people who are not yet of this fold, and he intends to call them to himself. His sheep hear his voice, and they go to him. Understand, brothers and sisters in Christ, that was the story for you and I at one time. 
until we heard the call of the Good Shepherd and we answered his call. It wasn't because we wised up as sheep, but it was because he is rich in mercy and he made us alive. He made us to hear his voice. So understand this church. He is still calling people to himself today. And how is he doing it? His sheep hear his voice. And so then what must we be preaching? His word. We must be faithful to preach the gospel so that those who are not yet of this fold might hear his voice and come to him. He's using the testimonies of ordinary people like you and me because he doesn't need heroes. In fact, he is the only hero. He is the one. Our Lord Jesus uses broken down people like you and me, people who would sometimes trade our Savior even for a handful of magic beans. He uses the proclamation of the word, the simple proclamation of the truth of his word to call a nation who did not know him to himself, to make them alive together with him. And so in conclusion, brothers and sisters in Christ, not only is it our responsibility to follow him ourselves, to come to Jesus and buy without money because he has paid that price. But we we come to Him for rest because He bids us come. Not only is it our, our goal and our responsibility to do that, but we must also call the world to Him as well. He will be high and lifted up for all the nations to see. And the sheep who are not yet of this fold will come to Him. So let us be faithful to proclaim that message. Let's go to Him and pray.